As we come to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come now to your word and this is the very word that prepares our hearts and brings grace to us. So I pray even now that you would make ready our minds to listen and understand our hearts to believe. And so be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to John, the Gospel of John in chapter 12. Gospel of John, chapter 12, I want to read verses 20 through the middle of verse 36. John chapter 12, please. Hear the word of God, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, though these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, We wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruits. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servants, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it, said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Now... You may say, that sounds like a rather odd passage for Advent. Perhaps it is. But what I want us to concentrate our attention on, really, if I could pluck it from even its context here, is this little expression, this question that the crowd has for Jesus, the middle of verse 34. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Now, now they, they knew that Jesus was referring to himself. They knew that he was saying that he was the Son of Man. What confused them was the fact that they had already, by that point, associated Jesus with being the Christ, 
their messianic, if we could put it that way, uh, expectations were fairly high. This follows right on the heels of what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they hail him, Hosanna, son of David, which is a messianic title. They, they said that the deliverer is here, this one, this son of David is here. And, and so, so, so you say you're the son of man, but we see you as the Christ. And now you're telling us that he has to be lifted up, which means he has to die. How can that be? Because the Christ is to remain forever. His kingdom is to be established, the son of David, and it would be established forever. So we're expecting when Christ comes that this kingdom is established forever. Now you say, son of man is going to die. How can that be? So who then really is this Son of man. Now they knew Jesus was saying, I'm the son of man. So in essence, they're saying, what kind of son of man is this? He's going to die. And how is he related at all to the Christ who comes to save us, to deliver us? So that's the real question. That's the question I want us to get around this morning. Who is this son of man? This title of Jesus, son of man. Seems a little more vague. Vaguer is how you're supposed to say it, but I like more vague. Vaguer sounds bad to me. Uh, sounds more vague than the other titles that we've been considering this Advent season. We consider the son of David. When we think about the son of David, we connect quickly to King David. We connect quickly to this covenant that God made with David that his sons would be Sons of God who would sit on the throne of David. This dynasty that would be created, that would go on forever. And where one, as we've been saying, will come and sit on this throne and rule eternally. This son of David. This, this one that the prophet Isaiah spoke of as, as the child that would be born. The son that would be given. The rule of the government would be upon his shoulders and his kingdom would know no end. That Son of David. And so when we hear son of David, you get a sense, yes, we, we get it. We understand who Jesus is claiming to be. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, this king. Son of God. Again, we get it. One like God. God in the flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. That is what Jesus is saying when he refers to himself. When others refer to him as the son of God. Not only is he David's son, but he's David's Lord, right? This God with us, this one who will come from the Father's side and make the Father known to us. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what he does, as we mentioned last Sunday, is, is in his death, he reveals who God is as the one who is just and the one who is love. Well, come together in the cross. The revelation of God to us, the salvation from God to us. But this expression, son of man, what is it that he means by it? Well, this expression is used in the Old Testament just of men. For instance, in Numbers, the book of Numbers in chapter 23, uh, Moses writes of a son of man, son of men, and compares them to God, um, who is like God. God doesn't change his mind, but 
The son of man changes his mind. Men change their mind. God doesn't. He's consistent. We're not. That's the sense of it. Just as a a man, it's used of Job. Job, a son of man, as one who is weak, like men are weak. Psalm 8 is a great creation psalm. It asks this question. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Adam was created. And he was created in such a way that he was to have dominion over the earth. Human beings to have dominion over the earth. And so in this psalm, the psalmist is crying out, this is, this is rather amazing. Uh, who are we that you would take notice of us, that you would even care for us, that you would give us this dominion, this son of man. So just simply used as, as a man. It's used of Ezekiel. If you read through Ezekiel's prophecy, you'll find that he's referred to as a son of man 90 times. Just a man, a prophet. Daniel himself is referred to as a son of man in Daniel chapter 8. So could it be that Jesus is using this expression, son of man, to say that I'm a human being? And, and perhaps so. I mean, he is a human being. We, we believe that. We believe that he has two natures, divine and human, in one person. Right? That he is this son of man in this in this sense he's the representative man even the author of hebrews puts it like this hebrews chapter 2 the author of hebrews verse 5 chapter 2 puts it like this for it was not to angels that god subjected the world to come of which we are speaking it has been testified somewhere psalm 8 by the way what is man that you're mindful of him Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. At present we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying, this great creation psalm about human beings is saying, oh, oh yeah, there's one who is this son of man who comes and he's the representative man and to him will be given this dominion over the earth. We don't, we don't see it quite now, though it is, but we will see it. This very one, this very one, Jesus, this representative man. So yes, the son of man. Reminds us, tells us, he is a son of the characteristics of, he is God in the flesh with us. But then there was this use of a son of man in the perhaps startling passage I read in the middle of our worship service from Daniel chapter 7. It's a vision that Daniel has. And it's a, it's a vision that begins with various beasts. Visions often have beasts in them. Various beasts. A lion, a bear, a leopard. And then a beast that's hideous. And that's devious. And that's worse than all the others. These beasts are the kingdoms of, of, of the world. The kingdoms of the earth, if you will. And this fourth beast, there's 
Ten kings, ten kingdoms. And out of this one even comes a, a little one, a little horn. And, and this little horn is, 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 is the most destructive at all, of all, especially the people of God. In fact, he says, even prevails over the saints, prevails over the people of God uh, for a certain time. So he sees all of that, but not only that, but in the midst of that, he sees first this. He says, thrones were placed, and the ancients of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His, his throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire, a steam fire, a fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the court a sad in judgment. The books were open. So, so in the midst of all these kings ruling unrighteously, ruling even in such a way that it hurts the people of God, Daniel sees the Ancient of Days, God, there with the books open before him, God, the ruler, God, the judge. And then in the midst of that scene, he sees this. He says, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him and him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, so the ancient of days God gives to this son of man rule, dominion, authority over, over all the earth. And he says there are numerous uncountable ones who will Serve him and his kingdom, his dominion will have no end. Does that remind you of anybody? Remind you of other things? This son of man, a man who's in the very courts of God in all eternity. This eternal son of God, son of man. And, and, and Daniel says, well, what does this all mean? And he gives him two pieces of meaning, a number of pieces of meaning. These are all we need. Verse 17, he says, For these four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever. Amen. In other words, he's saying, he says, it looks like these kingdoms will overtake the people of God, but they won't. Why? Well, because I've given dominion to this one like a son of man. And then of this little horn, he says, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him that is. This Son of Man will conquer. It's his kingdom. It's interesting that if you read through the Gospels, you'll find the expression, the Son of Man more than 80 times. Always, except for one, on the lips of Jesus. No one else. And the only one where it isn't from the lips of Jesus is what I read this morning when it comes from the crowds who are quoting him. Who is this son of man? Nobody else uses it of Jesus. Jesus uses it freely of himself. 
the Son of Man. He refers to himself as the Son of God a few times. He refers to himself as the Son uh, various times. But, but primarily, Jesus uses this expression, Son of Man. This expression uh, is, is his self-designation, if you will. And again, what's fascinating is the Son of Man expression has never been, was never picked up by the early church as a designation of Jesus. In fact, if you read through the rest of the New Testament, you'll only find it three times. Once in the book of Acts, when Stephen is dying, being killed, and he looks up and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But it's nowhere else in the book of Acts. Nowhere else from the founders, if you will, of this early church. It's not from the lips of Peter, from the lips of Paul or anyone else. When they refer to Jesus, they refer to him otherwise as Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the Lord, but not the Son of Man. In fact, we don't find it in any of the letters when Paul writes, when Peter writes, when any of the the, the New Testament writers write letters to the churches. They never refer to Jesus as the Son of Man. The only other place we find it is in the Revelation of John where he refers to Jesus twice as the Son of Man because that's how he sees him. Don't you wonder why? Why was this Jesus' favorite term for himself? And why did no one else pick up on it? Of course, we don't know exactly because, because Jesus didn't say and, and no one's really said. But, but, but think about it with me for, for a minute. When we get this expression, son of man, what do we think of? We think of this one who is a man, this one who is our representative. We know he comes from God. He represents us to God. He is our champion, if you will. He's our representative. He comes and lives and dies for us. All of that we know. And he comes, you see, and, and he comes identifying with us, as the author of Hebrews puts it, our brother. Notice how the author of Hebrews lays it out in, again, Hebrews chapter 2. He says, for it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. That is, that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, I will behold I and the children God has given me since therefore. The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, you see. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. The point is that when we hear Son of Man, we realize he identifies with us, with our condition, with our place. And so we know then he comes and he understands us. He sympathizes, as this author of Hebrews would later say, with our weaknesses. He understands us. Everything that we've experienced, everything that we know as human beings, except for sin itself. Jesus knows. He knows abuse. He knows embarrassment. He knows slander to be slandered. 
and it was hatred and it was pain and it was disappointment he knows betrayal he knows physical pain he knows material wants he also knows the longings that human beings have for love for intimacy for peace for companionship for connection to God he knows all of that so when we think of son of man we think of this one who identifies with us and perhaps he was giving this out to say listen here it is I'm the son of man I know you identify with you trust me trust me and only that Jesus knew son of man from the Daniel passage he knew what it meant he knew that this was also a designation that he was the Christ the Messiah that he was the he was the, 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 this heavenly one. He was this preexistent one. He was deity. He was, he was this eternal son of man, if you will. He knew that of himself. He knew that he had come to save and, and all of that. So he was using it honestly. But, but, but many think, and this is perhaps quite likely, that he was using it because it half revealed and half concealed. There are few misconceptions about son of man. In fact, it wasn't a common term in those days for whatever reason for this Christ, the Messiah. When Jesus would refer to the son of God or the son, people would argue and, and become argumentative and, and seek to kill him. But, uh, but when he used the expression Lord, they, they would do the same. But, but, but son of man, he could get away with. And he could reveal and conceal until the time. And then he could fill this expression, son of man, with meaning. See, the Christ, the Messiah, was thought to be one who would be a a, a political deliverer, if you will, and deliver the Israelites from Rome and set up a political kingdom in Israel and and, and, and all of that. And Jesus said, no, that's not it. If I use son of man and you're thinking that, I've got to de-teach you. I've got to unteach you all of this. So here's this expression, son of man. Let me fill it up. Let me tell you what this really, really means. And it, it does really mean that I identify with you and he said you get that you understand that because you accuse me you accuse the son of man of being a glutton and a drunkard as a friend of sinners you understand i identify with you i am the friend of these sinners i've come for them he illustrated that by by going to the home of zacchaeus this notorious sinner, this betrayer of Israel, the tax collector. And he went to Zacchaeus' home and he says, here's why I'm here. I've come to seek and to save the lost. You're lost. I've come to be your savior, if you will, to stand for you, to be your champion, to win your salvation, your deliverance, to achieve it for you. That's why I'm here. I've come as the son of man to seek and to save the lost. He identified with our weakness. He said, he says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. I know. I really do come, you see. I identify with you in all of this. And not only that, he came to bring the authority that was his 
to earth. You remember there was a time when Jesus was at a home and, and, and it was packed and some friends had a paralyzed friend who they wanted to bring to Jesus for healing, but they couldn't get him in, so they came and they went up on the roof and they removed part of the roof. I'm sure that was less destructive uh, in those days than it would be in ours, but they removed part of the roof. And so they could lower their friend down to be at the very feet of Jesus, and, and there he was. And, and so Jesus began by saying, your sins are forgiven. And everybody looked at him and thought, what? How can you forgive sins? You don't even know this man. He hasn't sinned against you. Only God can forgive sins like that. And he said, so that you will know that the son of man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. Take up your mat and go home. And he did. And they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Because they accused him of blasphemy because they realized that he was doing only that which God could do. Who is this son of man? He's the one who identifies with us. He's the one who's come to seek and save the lost. He's the one who has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's who he is. That's what he has the authority really to do the same was with the Sabbath. Uh, they accused him of breaking the Sabbath. And he says, well, listen, the Sabbath was made for a man. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, if this is for men, it's for me. And I'm the son of man, which makes me the Lord of all that's for men. So I'm the one who defined what we do on Sabbath and what that means. And it certainly means I can heal on the Sabbath and make whole. Certainly that is, that is true. When Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus, he says, I'm the one. I'm the one who's descended from heaven. Trust me. Listen to me. And there came another time as well that, that Jesus was with his disciples. And he asked this question. Matthew records it this way. He asked this question. Who do you say... The son of man is. Really? Who do others say the son of man is? You remember they gave a bunch of answers to that. And then finally Jesus said, but who do you say? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Jesus said, that's right. The son of man is the son of God. The son of man is the Christ. The son of man is the one who will come and deliver his his people. But, but from that point on, he began to add a twist to this whole idea of the Son of Man. And it's this twist that nobody understood in the context of Jesus being Son of Man, being Christ. And that is that the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Christ would have to come and actually suffer and die. That's what confused people. When Jesus said that the Son of Man would be lifted up, they said, how can that be? The Christ is going to be with us forever. How can he die? And nobody really understood that. Nobody really got that. You remember that right after Jesus, uh, right after Peter made the great profession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all of that, then Jesus laid this out for them, Matthew 16, verse 21. He says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
You remember what Peter did? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, far, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. In other words, Peter says, over my dead body, right? Are you going to die? Why? Why do you say that? Because he didn't get it. He didn't understand. He didn't realize that the Son of Man must die. In order for him to rule and to reign, he must first die. In order for his dominion to have no end, he must first die. In order for him to have victory for his people, he must first die. And again and again and again, Jesus would tell them, I need to go to Jerusalem where I will suffer and I will die, which, of course, he did. In fact, one of the most confusing statements that Jesus made was this. He said, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But the son of man is the eternal son of God. Then how is it that he comes Not to be served, but to serve. Because he needs nothing, and and we need everything. And so he comes to serve and to give his life as a ransom. At that point in time, he says, says, listen, I've just given you the, the real clue here. And the real clue is that when Isaiah spoke of this one who would come and take upon your iniquities and die and be your ransom, that's the son of man. That's who I am. The one who comes to suffer and to die. But of course, then the Son of Man, Son of God, rose from the dead. He ascended. And in his rising, he pronounced that his sacrifice had been accepted. He announced that salvation had come. He announced that all who believed in him would be delivered from their sins. And he ascended to rule and and reign. And in his ruling and his reigning, he intercedes for his people even now, which means he defends us. He governs all things for us. So that all that he has did in his life and death would be true for us, be worked in us and through us. And then a day would come when the Son of Man would return in glory. That's how he put it. He said, you'll see the Son of Man returning in glory in the clouds. You'll see it. Uh, Everything that's veiled now, you'll see on that day. You'll see when the Son of Man comes. You'll see that he is this very one that is in the heavenlies, that, that, that is before the Ancient of Days, that does have dominion over everything. He's going to come. And, and when he comes, and this is the kicker. When the Son of Man comes, it's associated most often with judgment. For instance, in John in chapter 5, as Jesus early on is filling up this expression, the Son of Man, he puts it like this. Verse 26. He says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. He's able to execute judgment. He's given him the authority to execute judgment 
Because he is the son of man. Why is it that he executes judgment, judgment because he's the son of man? Could be this, that as the son of man in his humanity, he's the perfect man. He's the standard. Everything's compared to him. Thus, you're judged concerning him. Your sins compared to his obedience. And you're judged in the context of trust in him. But not only that, but because he is this eternal son of man. Son of man reflecting both his deity and his humanity. And he's been given authority by the ancient of days. He's the judge. And so he comes thus. When he comes, the picture is painted often like this. Matthew chapter 24 in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they'll gather the elect from the four winds, one uh, from one end of heaven to the other. You see, that's it, isn't it? He says, listen, when the Son of Man comes, he has power, authority to judge. So when he comes, all those who have not believed will mourn his coming. And he'll gather his own. Jesus told a parable. We call it the parable of the weeds. He told this parable and he said the kingdom of God is like this. There is one who sows, the son of man sows. And he sows seed in such a way that sons of the kingdom arise. And at the same time, there is another one who sows, the evil one. And he sows weeds and these are the sons of the evil one. And so the question comes, well, should we, should we go through now and, 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 and take the sons of the kingdom? And Jesus says, well, no, not now. The reason not now is because you might get them mixed up. But a day will come when the Son of Man will come. So Jesus, when he was with these disciples on this day that the Greeks wanted to know who Jesus really was they wanted to to really see him he says something says something to them this is we've heard from the law that the christ must remain forever how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man now i would have expected jesus to say me or better i am But he he didn't say that. Here's what he said. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light. Now at that point, I would expect Jesus to say, while you have the light, walk in the light. In other words, so that you know where you're going. Now that you have the light, walk in the light. Now we realize that when Jesus says 
while you have the light. He's talking about himself. I'm here. But he doesn't say, while you have the light, walk in the light. That would have been fine to say, I suppose, but he doesn't say that. He says, while you have the light, believe in the light. Believe in the light. That you may become sons of light. When Jesus speaks of the Son of Man returning in glory, that should be glorious. It should be glorious in the sense that we realize this is the very salvation of God. He's coming now and his kingdom will be, will be, will be set up. It will be established. All that he promised will be fulfilled. We'll see it. We'll, we'll live in it. And he says, yes, that's true, but, but only if you believe. And so when he speaks of this son of man coming, he, he always speaks of him in, in the context of, of watching and waiting and being ready and all of that. And the question is, how do we watch and how do we wait and how are we ready? Well, it's by continuing to believe. So that word to us is, while we have the light, believe. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks. He broke it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Believe. Do this in remembrance of me. Believe. Same way he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples. And he said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Believe. Right. Here we sit. And we have the light. The truth. In his way, spiritually speaking, the very presence of Jesus. While you have the light, believe in the Son of Man, this one that is pre-existent, this one, the deity, this one that's existed from the foundations of the world before the foundations of the world. He's eternally begotten of the Father. This one who's come. He identifies with us, represents us, takes our sin upon himself, lift it up so that we can be delivered from the real bondage from our sin and reconciled to God. So that when he comes, his wrath has already been taken for all who believe. And while we have the light, believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me, for us, that we would, in fact, believe, overcome, I pray, all our resistance, all of our doubts and fears, and enable us to see the Son of Man, to trust Him, God with us, Lift it up that we might live. So I pray that you take this bread, this juice, set it apart in such a way that we'd know we're in the very presence of Jesus, his light. 
that you would enable us as we come to know him, to trust him, to believe. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind our response to the benediction is <clears throat> twofold. One is this Advent response, Christ has come, Christ is coming again. And then for us to sing together the doxology, please receive this as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence, and that with great joy. To only wise God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be glory, dominion, majesty and power both now and forevermore and all God's people said Christ is come Christ is coming again hallelujah